Thanks for joining us for another edition of the Driving You Crazy podcast. This is where we talk all things transportation and really anything that gets you from here to there. I'm the traffic anchor for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. I'm pedestrian advocate Joseph Peters. We're all about legs, pedals, paddles, whatever it takes, right? Oh, yeah, whatever paddles. We love paddles. We don't have enough um, areas to paddle, though. That's very true, although there is Float to Work Day coming up up in Boulder. Oh, yeah, there's always the Float to Work Day, and that's always very interesting. I don't really think they go to work, though, <laughs> after they've done floating. Debatable. And, you know, I listen to other podcasts, and I was listening the other day to uh, some transportation show. It was, for the most part, it was fairly boring. I forget the name of it. But it started off slow. It started off boring. No energy, mm. you know? Low I, energy. Low like energy. Bush. <laughs> <laughs> I kept listening for a while because I want to get the information, but man, I'll tell you what, this podcast right here, the world famous driving your crazy podcast, it's like cotton candy for your ears. That's true. Confirmed fact. Four out of five doctors agree. I don't recommend you putting cotton candy in your actual ear, but hey, this is America and you're free to do whatever you like. I'm sure we've all done something like that when we were like nine or 10, right? Oh yeah. My... <sighs> My little girl, six-year-old, she does all kinds of crazy things. She, she, I mean, she's the one that actually put the, um, what's it, the, uh, the, the paper clip into the light side, into the, uh, the outlet. Oh, oh yeah, sparks flying, burned, uh, burned the impression of it in her finger. Oh my goodness. Oh Don't yeah. Do that. Yeah, she's the one. Uh, with rising airfares, many would-be travelers are thinking about staying home. So major U.S. airlines, including American, Delta, United, Southwest, and JetBlue, are offering a no-frills option for summer travel with dramatically reduced ticket prices. How? By offering tickets to fly in the overhead bin. Jack Randall, the vice president at JetBlue, says we realize that our new overhead bin class, Bin Blue, is not for everyone and may cause minor joint dislocation, but it's a great option for flexible flyers carrying only a single piece of luggage. Josh Smotes of New York City said Southwest tight tourist promotion will make it affordable for him to visit his friends in L.A. Delta is calling its travel option Compactor Class, while American is using Scrunch Club, and United has chosen the name Packed Passages. <laughs> Ticket prices in the overhead bin depend on the airline, but are about 50 to 75% below standard coach fares. Passenger Linda Lee says she plans to get some shut-eye on her long flight to Hong Kong with American's Scrunch Club fare. <laughs> there's, there's only one way to travel. In the overhead bin. That's right. We don't recommend it for dogs, but people, it's okay. <laughs> Lauren Hodgkins, the director of flight programs for Delta, says for years, Delta customers have been complaining about the high cost of traveling with children. We're happy to announce that with our compactor class, children under three fly free, provided they fit securely in the overhead bin. Delta is proud to be the first airline in the industry to offer no-cost overhead bin options for passengers of toddler age and younger. Ms. Hodgkins added that in some cases, young children will eventually be allowed to fly unaccompanied by adults, provided they are slightly sedated before departure. A little whiskey. A little bit. Delta urges, though, freshly changed diapers before leaving the gate for children under three traveling in those overhead bins. Mm. Uh, obviously, this is all tongue firmly planted in cheek. But... 
it does seem like a comfortable way to travel again for those flexible flyers out there. Yes. And if you could get those tickets for ten bucks, I don't know, man. <laughs> I'd be tempted. <laughs> you think so? It comes from Alan Isaac from the website Extra Newsfeed, where they publish many stories of satire. But you know, if the airlines could get away with this, they probably would try it. And you, as a budget flyer, would probably try it. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Maybe, uh, maybe not after you know the whole dead dog thing. I think that maybe if they improved the air circulation system in the overhead bin, that it, would make this feasible. It certainly would feel like being in a, a coffin. I think yes. would be the accurate comparison. Only it's a coffin that's flying. Yes, 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 exactly. And coming back from a funeral yesterday, seeing I, you know they they still do open casket funerals, mm-hmm. and it's just it's just odd. Still, to see open casket funerals. Agreed. Uh, but this is the time of my life where I'm going to a lot more funerals than weddings in my life. So, our good, good friend said, with my tongue firmly planted in my cheek, the publisher of Streets Blog Denver, David Sachs, he sent out a tweet last Thursday with a link to his morning blog that started off this way Driver injures person walking on Hamden. Now, now, let me first tell you what happened before I tell you what happened. Okay. A little after four in the morning, outside a gentleman's club in southeast Denver, there was a large man. They say he was about 6'5", heavy. That is important. You'll see why in just a minute. He came out of the club, wanted to cross Hamden Avenue. It's a two lanes on the westbound side, three lanes on the eastbound side. There is a signaled intersection with two crosswalks not 50 feet away from where this gentleman was. The man decided, though, to cross the road anyway, outside of the crosswalk, where it's still dark outside, around a curve, where drivers are going about 40 to 45 miles an hour. That's the speed limit, 45. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, here comes this guy, this driver, minding his own business, just some random guy. He's driving to work at 4.15 in the morning, and all of a sudden, this huge man walks out in front of him. The driver slams on his brakes, but he still hits this guy. Now, the pedestrian was hurt. He was taken to the hospital with serious injuries. That's what the paramedics said. But they also said he was alert and talking to the paramedics when they drove off in the ambulance to the hospital. Now, the driver of the SUV, it looked like an older model Chevy Blazer or so. He was fine, but the front of his truck was was smashed. I was surprised by the damage that was done to this guy's car. The radiator was cracked. The hood was folded up. The, the car was not drivable at all. It had to be towed away and probably has to be replaced. And now that you can have that picture in your mind of the situation, what, what happened, let's go back to the tweet that started off this little Twitter feud. So David Sachs from Street Blog Denver said in a tweet that linked to his blog, this is what he said. Driver injures person walking on Hamden. And then when you get to his blog, the headline is attached to a link to the story about the crash coming from Fox 31, the TV station across the street. So against my better judgment, I sent out a tweet knowing that it was going to start an uncomfortable back and forth with David. I said, more like the person wrecked a driver's car after walking out into the road outside of the crosswalk, Denver Police Department says the pedestrian will be cited while the driver faces no charges and will now have to replace his vehicle. That's what I said. David replied, you're worried about an inanimate object, though. Got it. Uh, a person was sent to the hospital with a head injury? I replied, and a man who was simply driving to work 
going lower than the speed limit, has to replace his truck because of someone's negligence. This is unfortunate that the person was hurt, but it's also unfortunate the driver has to replace his truck due to no fault of his own. David chimed in saying, nah, if the injury is life-changing, it's tragic, not unfortunate. So I asked the question that I really wanted to ask David for a while now, knowing that the answer will be total crap. I asked, so in your view, does the pedestrian have any liability or is it always the driver's fault? He replied, people make choices based on the system that's in place. That highway is not designed to serve pedestrian needs and neither are roads like it, which any transportation planner will tell you results in them getting injured or killed. Your original tweet contended that because the police cited the person walking, it wasn't accurate to say the driver injured him. But he did injure him. Assuming the person didn't want to get hit, you have to look at the physical street factors that led to the choice he made. You see what I mean? I mean, can you see right here? He blamed the street. And he blamed the person for walking off the sidewalk and into the street. Mm -hmm. I replied... Hamden has two signaled crosswalks less than 50 yards from where the man was hit with a sidewalk on both sides of the road. That man made the choice to cross the road outside the area designed by traffic engineers for pedestrians to cross the road. He then concluded the spat like this. You keep reporting how bad traffic gets after crashes occur. We'll keep reporting how to end the carnage by changing the broken system. I chose not to reply anymore because I knew it was really going basically nowhere. It, it, it's with a person who, who will never concede that, that a person, that a pedestrian might be at fault at a crash like this. Ever. The pedestrian is always right. We've talked about this in the past. Right. And, and, and it, it, it really absolves the pedestrian of any responsibility to use the systems that are in place, like the crosswalk. That's right up the road that the driver we can safely assume would have stopped at because there was no evidence of impairment. And, and while that Twitter spat was going on with David, I was getting killed on Twitter by a bunch of other pedestrian zealots with a Twitter account who also can't look at a situation objectively. Like Angie Smith, who said a pedestrian is in the hospital. This reporter in Denver is very concerned about the damage he did to the guy that hit him's vehicle. No joke. That, that's exactly what she said. Moomin Daddy said, extremely bad tweet, bro. Oh, bro. <laughs> I'm, I'm now a bro. Tweet better. Angie Schmidt chimed in again just after that saying, we are legit in the middle of a pedestrian safety crisis with 6,000 being killed a year. Reporter, let's talk about the unacceptable carnage this is inflicting on the nation's vehicles. Yeah, look, people like, that get hit. I don't like it. I don't want people to get hurt. I don't want people crossing the road to get hurt, get hit. I don't like that. But you have to look at whose fault in this case. Right. This specific case. Mm -hmm. But all these people go to generalities. Exactly. You can't use the blanket argument when situations call for specific analysis. Patrick, Tom, uh, Patrick Thornton said, won't somebody please think of the damage that a human being's head and body can do to a moving SUV? That SUV might have had a family. Well, Patrick has a point. <laughs> that SUV does have a family. It belongs yeah. to a long lineage of Chevy vehicles. Yes, it does. Torin Jensen said, 
But won't someone think of the car? Not a good look. Obviously, slamming me. Brave Cole Nanny said, Jason, do you tweet this way because you want to have sex with a car? This was obviously my favorite of the mean tweets up to that point. I know. You should have started with that one. You like that one? That well, I'm just one. trying to do these in chronological order as I was getting them. <laughs> Stephen Chester said, thoughts and prayers to the car. My deepest condolences. Let's all keep this pile of steel and rubber in our prayers. Jammin' Hypocrisy says, this tweet is a lawsuit waiting to happen. Am I right, Denver Channel? No, it actually isn't a lawsuit waiting to happen because I didn't say anything that would be uh, bring about a lawsuit, um, Jammin' Hypocrisy. This person just didn't like what I said, so he or she wants to get me silenced. Mm. That's the tactic of some of these people. Say something they don't like, and they want you to stop talking and or be fired for it. Correct. Um, we call those snowflakes? Is I, that the I, phrase? I, well, I guess. I don't know. We, we've had that problem in the past where, where some other guy wanted to get me fired for, a, for another thing, another tweet I put out. Pink Globe Emoji said, do you truly believe a piece of metal is more valuable and worthy of protection than a human being's safety? I thought I was beyond being surprised at amoral callousness in 2018, but unfortunately not. Uh, no, I, I, I don't, but I, I do believe that a person who walks out on the street where he shouldn't be is actually causing another person to suffer some damages there. I mean, he was also shaken up. Yep. He was freaked out. Um he has lost now time and money dealing with his own personal situation. Well, and I'm sure there's a little bit of guilt too, right? Oh, I mean, sure. That, that that you didn't have the reflexes to avoid something like this. Right. He didn't want to hit the guy. He's tried to stop, it, tried to get it, out of the way. Right. It's traumatic for everybody. Well, and you hear about these stories from train engineers who hit people or hit vehicles, and they are really shaken up about these sort of things. Uh, Becca D says, bad tweet. Would it change your take if it had been a child that ran out in the street and got hit, still outside a crosswalk, or a blind pedestrian? Should the driver be able to stop in those cases and not sue the vulnerable human? If a child ran out, then that would be an unfortunate situation for all involved because a child is not trying to run out in the street intentionally. It's not, it, it just, it, they're just acting. Right. The most tragic things that we cover right. are accidents like that. The, the driver would never intend on hitting anyone, especially a kid. But that's not what happened in this case. As for a blind person, they again would be crossing out probably outside a crosswalk unintentionally, right? I mean, you you you, you got to think that a blind person is going to be very, very careful about where they are crossing the street because they know how dangerous it would be for them to cross outside of a crosswalk or a designated area for them to cross. Yes. Brave Cole Nanny. That person says, engineers made the choice to design a road that's extremely unsafe for pedestrians to cross along 99% of its length. And you know that how exactly? I mean, how do you know that it's been designed the, that way? But the thing is, is that most roads are unsafe to cross for 99% of their length. The other 1% is the crosswalk. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Looking at the Twitter feed there, I, I don't think that person lives in Denver. Uh, and actually, there is a double crosswalk not 50 feet from where he was hit. 50 feet. That's a safe spot, as you said, for pedestrians to cross, designed specifically for them. Uh, Mika Weiss says, I'm constantly telling my kids that people are more important than things. You're a little old to still need that lesson, but it's clear to you you don't get it. At Denver Channel, is traffic violence what you stand for? Yes, in fact, it is. I think it's in the charter. 
I think it says there's a big sign right there. We stand for holding the powerful accountable, looking out for you in favor of traffic violence. 100% in favor of traffic violence. Robert Getch says, people like Denver 7 traffic make me sad. Oh. That hurts. Feel better, man. That hurts a little bit. John Lloyd said, Denver traffic reporter apparently think cars are more important than people. No, actually, I don't. Scott Bentz says, screw universal health care. We need universal auto body care. Am I right? It's not a bad idea. I mean, why not? There have been worse ideas from this administration. (laughs) Paul Jameson. Paul Jameson. Jameson. Whatever. I don't know. He says, I'm another local news reporter who has never used alternative transit. Now back to our wall-to-wall car commercials. I mean, we've talked about your experiences with alternative transit, right? Yes. I was actually riding my bike yesterday, and, and no, no less. There you have it. That was, I, I guess, in their world, alternative transportation. I used to ride the bus. I never liked it. That, that's just it. You got away from it. I know. I earned enough money to buy my own car. Concerned Celia says, Jason loves to think about two-ton weapons over human beings walking. Unbelievable. It's because people like him, we have the obesity epidemic, epidemic of loneliness. You just want to trap people in expensive cars. Never heard such a dumb hot take. That was amazing. That's, that's one. Of, who was that? This is from Concerned Celia. Can we send her a t-shirt? She, well, sure. She's the best one so far. I think I, I know it because now I am not only killing people, but also I'm, I'm responsible for everybody overeating and the epidemic of loneliness. <laughs> How does that happen? I don't know, man. Good work. You also want to have sex with cars. So. I do want to have sex with cars. Uh, but yeah, Celia wins. Celia's the best so far. And there were a few more that poured in over the weekend. Uh, and I was telling Lisa Hidalgo, the you know our morning meteorologist, this story, and I was saying that there's really no reasoning with these people. So I have not been replying to them because I know it's going to go nowhere. Until now. So yes, <laughs> they see the world in their own way, and and and, and when I said this to the story to Lisa, uh, that I was surprised that actually nobody called me a racist. I mean, they called me a loneliness, but nobody called me a racist yet. And then she chimed in with the best comment of the month. She says, "I'm a pedestrian racist." Okay, I'm not sure how okay. to take that, but I'm a pedestrian racist. It seems accurate. Uh, No, I'm not actually a pedestrian racist, but I am a person who can see when someone is at fault. And in this case, a person who was walking in the street outside the crosswalk was at fault. And the driver who hit that person is going to have to sue the person to get compensation for the loss of his vehicle. Or I think they actually might get paid from their comprehensive coverage on their car or uninsured motorist coverage on their car if mm-hmm. they cannot collect from the pedestrian. Now, after all of that was done, David wasn't done. He wrote an article on his streets blog called Denver's Culture of Acceptance When It Comes to Traffic Violence, which is in itself a false pretense. Now, how does he know that Denver has a culture of acceptance when it comes to traffic violence? Because he's basing it just on my one tweet. He writes, after a driver hit a person crossing Hampton Avenue this morning and sent him to the hospital with a head injury, Denver 7 traffic reporter Jason Luber expressed grave concern for the car. 
No one should expect Twitter, a volcano spewing hot takes, to deliver well-thought-out ideas about complex transportation system designed for maximum carnage. Denver's seen nearly 10,000 crashes this year alone. Um, David, the system was actually not designed for maximum carnage, and, and, and of course, he never breaks down the severity of those supposed 10,000 crashes that he said happened this year already. And it's not even half over, is it? Correct. The system in Denver was actually designed by people about 200 years ago when they wanted to get from here to there on their feet or a horse or in a buggy or whatever because, you know, this was the Wild West. And they followed these trails. And those well-worn trails eventually became streets and highways and interstates like Santa Fe. That's one of them. I-25 was one of them. And 150 years ago or so, as the city of Denver was looking to expand, city planners looked at the open lots and plotted out roads and streets in a grid so people could build neighborhoods and homes and apartments and the like. I, I think I'm safe in saying that those planners, even way back then, never had the intention to create a system of roads that would kill as many people as possible. Correct. It, which would be what creating roads for maximum carnage would be. Yes. If instead of having a highway system, we just had Battle Dome. Right. We don't have that. They built the roads in a grid system to plot out land so people who were moving here from the east to the west had a place to live and a place to get around. They could go from their home to the store or to their work or to whatever they wanted to do. That's why the road system was built, not so they could kill people 150 years later. <sighs> David continues with the article. But when a reporter for the local ABC affiliate expresses concern for an inanimate object over a human being who just suffered a potential life-threatening blow to the head, Twitter can tell us something about the culture of traffic violence in Denver. My concern, David, was for the person who was wrecked by the car and for the driver of the inanimate object that hit the person walking in the middle of the road where he should not have been. My concern also was for the person who was hit. It was for both of the people. It was for the person right. who had his car wrecked. That's what I was concerned about. For the person behind the wheel. He is going to be having to deal with all of the consequences of the person that was in the road, including lost car, lost wages possibly, lost time, effort, all that sort of stuff. Yep. David continues. The primacy of the car in our city and the ubiquitous injuries and death that result have led people to accept carnage as a daily cost of doing business. Uh, no, they haven't. And stop trying to make yourself look more self-important than you already are by writing sentences like that. <laughs> this casual disregard for human life is evident all around us, especially online where people openly talk about killing others because of how they choose to move around. Or take Luber's tweet. Is he saying that because the pedestrian was outside of the crosswalk, he essentially got what was coming to him? If so, how is that okay? Uh, that man, David, who put himself out into a situation where he was at high risk of getting hit, I, I didn't want to see that man get hurt, but he put himself out there, outside of the crosswalk, designated for pedestrians to cross the road safely. If I go swimming with sharks, it, it, it's my fault when I have my leg bitten off. It's not the fault of the shark or the ocean. This is a situation of someone, the pedestrian, doing something he shouldn't and causing injury to himself and inconveniencing somebody else. That's what this situation is, not carnage throughout the roads of Denver. Correct. 
absolutely. I mean, that we know most of the facts of the situation at this point. There was no carnage intended by any of this. There was a driver who had somebody jump out in front of him. Or, I mean, not jump, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, like, just cross, walk out there. Just walk into the middle of the street. And everybody's a victim in a crash like that. David Sachs continues, it's not about political correctness. It's about realizing that these tragedies are preventable instead of rushing to blame the victim. We're talking about a five lane highway not designed with pedestrians in mind that only received a sidewalk on its south side last year. Uh, David, like we said, there's two victims here, the man who was hit and the man who has a wrecked truck. We can blame the person who caused this to happen. Not the highway. It's a roadway with a speed limit of 45 miles an hour. It's not an interstate. It's not really a highway. It's just a roadway. But he's still blaming the road and the sidewalk instead of the person who uh, chose to walk out into the street and he was unfortunately hit. David continues. Well, hold up, because it is a travesty that there was no sidewalk on that side of the street up until a year ago. Like, if you have a road that's important enough for five lanes of a highway, you need to have a sidewalk as well. So that that is a fair. Well, they do have assessment. a sidewalk. It's just on one side. R- well, that's ju- that's what I'm saying, though. Like, if you, if you have a five lane highway and you have one sidewalk, that's a pain in the ass for any pedestrian. You know, and we should be trying to make things easier for them in that regard. But the counter to that is that there's also the crosswalk. Right. You know what I mean? And and that's what I keep coming back to is there's a crosswalk right there. Yes. It's right there. And he could have hit the button and stopped the light and that driver would have stopped. He's a law abiding law abiding citizen for Pete's sake. Right. I mean, and that's a case of where the road works and unless you there's human error. Yes. It was human error. David continues. One tenant of Vision Zero, the Hancock, the mayor, Denver Mayor Hancock, administration's goal to end traffic deaths is that streets should be forgiving. So when people do make mistakes, they don't have to pay with their lives. Denver needs better infrastructure, but it also needs the public to grasp the fact that these incidents are preventable with better engineering and enforcement. Better engineering? I bet in the form of fewer streets, I'm sure, right? <laughs> At least streets for, for cars. Maybe better engineering in the form of streets for and trails for bikes and pedestrians. Better engineering. How about better uh, uh, pedestrians that won't walk out in the middle of traffic? A fair point. I mean, I, I, I'm always in favor of keeping people away from cars. Yes. You know, I think there does need to be a better system for pedestrians in that regard. Sure. sure. Like, right. yeah, Absolutely. The best comment attached to his story was from this man named John Reiki. We I've heard from him. He's a he's a bike advocate in big time here uh, in town. He says it's cruel and pointless to design a system that's ineffective, inefficient, and regularly results in unnecessary and arbitrary death. When the system itself is broken, it doesn't matter whether behavior was lawful or not. Since often the lawful choice is either non-intuitive or unhelpful, the system needs to be fixed. Mm. Right there, that sediment says it perfectly. It doesn't matter whether the behavior was lawful or not. Of course it does. Of course it does. Doesn't matter if it's... Goodness gracious. Correct. Seriously, the system works perfectly when people behave lawfully. In all regards, pedestrians and drivers alike. Yes. I would say most crashes, if not all, are a direct result of unlawful behavior, including the one we have been talking about right here. But if you heard, it's all about what's wrong with the system. 
and not the behavior of the person that's the problem. They would probably blame all the road rage on the roads right now, not for people's behavior, but because the road was designed poorly. Well, and I think my favorite thing you said during the whole argument was that it, these people are talking in generalities and not in specifics. And when we're really talking about this case, we're talking about a specific incident where the generalities don't apply. Right. You know, I mean, yeah, on a base level, I think we agree there does need to be a better system for pedestrians and there do need to be protections in place. And, yeah, things do need to be enforced better as well. But that's not what we're talking about in this case. And oddly enough, anecdotally, I was driving home yesterday and I was flipping through the radio and I stopped on the Tom Martino show. And he was talking about um, with this guy, with this this person who unfortunately was a very much similar situation. He was driving somewhere. Somebody walked out in front of him, and that pedestrian was killed. Mm-hmm. Um, it was outside a crosswalk. Guy was just trying to run across the street or whatever and was hit and killed. And now this driver is dealing with the loss of his car. He doesn't know how he's going get, to get, get paid for it. He was also, his insurance company was sued by the family for wrongful death, but and the, and the insurance company actually paid out a settlement to that guy, even though the police cited would have cited if he lived the the pedestrian and not the driver wow so it was a very similar situation wow. and i thought it was very interesting to see the back and forth and then they talked to a lawyer who was talking about some of the insurance that could have been uh, played here but he didn't have because the car was an older car he didn't have the collision coverage because it wasn't worth it for him to have the coverage because it would have cost him more than what the car is worth to replace it. Exactly. So he is looking to then sue the estate or sue the family now to get money so he can replace his car. So this it's a very similar situation. You have two victims there, again, in, in similar situations here. And then that when the tragedy is amplified by the fact that the pedestrian did lose their life. Exactly. Exactly right. Well, I'm sure it's not going to be the last Twitter spat with David Sachs. I hope it is, but... Uh, I can, we, we can only hope for the best. Maybe you guys can just block each other. Maybe that might be a good idea. Coming up, the Bay Area is debating how to fix their transportation system. The pro and the con side of that issue as the Driving You Crazy podcast continues. Hey everybody, Eric Lufer with Denver 7. You better be watching our show every morning because we're the best, and I'm on it, so uh, start watching. The Driving You Crazy podcast, I am an avid listener of this. Every uh, week, one day a week on my way home, this is the first thing I put on. This is why I love the Driving You Crazy podcast. You have Jason Luber, who gets so angry about minor things uh, sometimes. <laughs> Uh, But he brings a a real attention to some of these things that the rest of us may not notice on the roads. And he finds uh, crazy stories uh, from all over the world about how they handle their traffic problems. So it's always fascinating to listen to Jason and Joseph talk traffic on the Driving You Crazy podcast. Uh, Love it. One of my top favorite podcasts, and I listen to a lot of them. Nicole Brady, only on Denver 7. 
Weekend mornings are personally my favorite time. Eric Lufer and I have the most fun that we possibly can, but also we get to bring you the news of the day, the weather, sports, and there's a pet segment, so we have a good time. It's a nice way to wake up and just kind of get your news of the day for the weekend. Katie LaSalle, only on Denver 7. Welcome back to the world famous Driving You Crazy podcast where we don't want to have sex with cars. Correct. At least uh, last time we checked. Do you want to have sex with a car? Nope. <laughs> I was reminded though that there was some story. I was mentioning something about this in the newsroom and Rory was saying that there was actually a guy somewhere, I think it was in Kansas or Topeka or something like that, who actually was arrested or convicted or something about having sex with a car or trying to or something. Gross. It is gross. I don't know how that would be accomplished or what the crime there would be. Crime on car? I don't know. I mean, public exposure, I'm sure. What if it was in a garage? All right, we're not going to explore this topic. I've always wanted to work on the railroad, and right now might be the best time to jump ship. Jump off this media train and get on a real train, because people who become employees of Union Pacific and BNSF are now being offered significant signing bonuses, like twenty-five grand. The volume of freight is rising. There's strong economic growth around the country. Uh, Industrial expansion is happening with the tax cuts. And shortage of available truck capacity is actually pushing more of these shipments onto trains. So to get workers, the companies are dangling incentives that analysts and union leaders are saying the highest they can recall. Union Pacific is offering 10,000 to 20,000 hiring incentives to train crews in cities like here in Denver, Kansas City, North Platte, Nebraska, that's where its largest rail yard is located. These jobs average 40 grand in pay over the first year and then 60 grand the next year. Electricians to inspect, repair and maintain locomotives are being wooed with $25,000 signing bonuses to Union Pacific locations outside in Milwaukee, in Oregon. There. Okay. Uh, they also Union Pacific say their hiring bonuses are for certain positions in this tight labor market. And a BNSF, a BNSF spokesperson says the railroad is facing a talent shortage across their entire system and is extending the offer to diesel mechanics, electricians, and conductor trainees. I think that would be fun, being a conductor. I could see it, man. That's your future. Getting out in the front of that train? I'll be working on the railroad, right? But they do say the jobs can be demanding. Like irregular work schedules, long hours, and frequent... Uh, nights away where you're not going to be with your family all the time. Uh, but if you're willing to endure it, the pay is good. The median Union Pacific employee, a locomotive engineer, makes nearly $83,000. That's not bad. That's pretty good. That's really good. But a locomotive engineer sounds like a hard job. Well, if you're just driving the train, but you're going to be away from your family. So for a single guy... That'd be great. I don't know. I think it's engineer that's throwing me off in the oh, title. Okay. Like, do I also have to fix the locomotive? Because <laughs> then it's a totally different challenge. Well, and they say health care and retirement benefits are really good, and they have a pension. Uh, one catch, though, is that the bonuses are paid out over time. So after meeting certain milestones, then you get that bonus money. Uh, like you have to complete a training or maybe a year of service, and then they lock workers into a location, specific location, for about three years or so. So if you want to leave or you're terminated for cause uh, before that, then you have to pay back 
any of the bonus amount that you might have gotten. Such a scam. <laughs> I'm just saying. Like, I mean, that's not, you know, you, you make the extra money, you work hard for it, and if an opportunity comes around, then all of a sudden you're supposed to say, oh, here's that money back. Right? Well, yeah, that's the way they say it. Exactly right. So you're not working on the railroad. I, apparently not. <laughs> Sorry, industry. <laughs> California, you know, it's its own special place. Officials there are painting streets white, they say, to reduce the effect of urban heat islands. Now, L.A. Street Services began rolling out this project last May, which preliminary testing shows has reduced the temperature of roadways by up to 10 degrees. That would be very welcome if you're going to be, let's say, hopping out of your car, running across the pavement to the beach. Correct. That would be great. The project involves applying a light gray coating of a product called Cool Seal, and each coating can last up to seven years, but it costs about $40,000 a mile. That's a lot of money. Now, by reducing the temperature of the city streets, officials say it can help reduce the temperatures in these neighborhoods where the sealant is applied. And with its numerous streets and freeways, L.A. suffers from that heat island effect. It actually causes urban areas to become warmer than their surrounding regions. Um, we studied this when I was going through my forecasting degree at Penn State. Mm-hmm. Um, really, because there are these islands. that I, I remember I didn't even have to go through my Penn State uh, degree to get to, to know that when I was riding my motorcycle uh, past a open field, the temperature would drop compared to around buildings or parking lots or other things. Do you know if Denver's experiencing the heat island effects? Because it certainly yes. feels like downtown is yes. always a little bit warmer than everywhere else. It is always warmer. And with all the extra growth and density, we are seeing more of the heat island effect in Denver. And as the city gets larger, especially up along the Front Range, you get more of that. Now, some will say that it creates... Uh, when you when you have clouds basically build because there's these warm bubbles of air, just like in a pot of boiling water, these bubbles, they just sh- show up, right? Okay. Well, now you have this area where you know there's going to be warm air always popping up, and it can actually send, uh, if we have the right conditions, storms a little bit higher in the atmosphere, a little bit more intense, and actually become uh, he- more heavy rain, hail, possibly tornadoes, that sort of thing. It can make storms that are already happening more intense because of the extra heat that's in these areas. Gotcha. Okay. So that's what they're saying. And they're actually saying some of that might be blamed on those historic floods in that town in uh, uh, in the East Coast. Well, I mean, I think here we're seeing a few instances of really severe weather patterns that we haven't seen in, in a long time. Uh, I mean, the, the 2013 floods in Big Thompson Canyon, right. that's a thousand-year event. And then, if you, and then the hailstorm from last year, you would call a similarly once in a a long time event as well right so you can't necessarily blame the heat island but uh, you know hey if you can cool down the cities uh, it it might be a better energy saver that sort of thing right uh fewer people using it because it used to be uh the old adage was years ago 25 years ago you didn't need air conditioning here in town but now you can't survive without it because you have so much That's, more density. Wow. I yeah. can't believe that was ever a thing here in the first place. Oh, yeah. there is Most homes were built without air conditioning. Wow. So in the Bay Area, there's something called the Regional Measure 3, and the citizens there will get to vote on it very soon, here in early June. The measure, if passed, would raise the price on the Bay Area's seven state-owned toll bridges by $3. The measure, if passed, would collect an estimated $4.5 billion dollars 
and it would fund transportation capital projects, and $60 million a year would go to transit operations. The Mercury News put out a pro and con piece about the debate, and it's interesting to hear the responses, whether they should vote to raise the tolls or, or just leave them alone. And the basic argument here from the pro side says the money would improve Bay Area highways and transit, and the ballot proposal will directly benefit commuters through the region, no matter which direction they are traveling. The con argument says that the bridge toll increase would condemn Bay Area traffic to gridlock. Voters should reject it and demand instead a plan focused on transit, shared rides, and bikes. Newell Americh, he's the mayor of Danville, California. That's It's the city right there on the east side of the bay, right there in, okay. in the east side of San Francisco. And he's a member of the Contra Costa Transportation Authority. And he argues for the pro side, saying that the Bay Area once was an example of forward-thinking investment in transportation infrastructure, but now it's fallen behind due to the lack of investment. We hear a lot of that here in Colorado and really around the entire United States. Correct. As a result, he says, we suffer from gridlock and overcrowding of our public transportation networks. This is a regional problem that impacts us all. In fact, the Bay Area leads the nation in supercommuters. We've talked about supercommuters here on the show. Recently. Yeah, the ones who travel uh, 90 minutes or more to get to work. Traffic doesn't stop at our city or county lines, and our jobs and lives don't either. From our highways to crucial public transportation systems like BART, regional buses, and ferries to pedestrians and bike paths, we are relying on aging infrastructure that desperately needs improvement and requires regional strategies to address. Regional Measure 3 will provide funding uh, to complete many of the Bay Area's high-priority transportation projects, like fixing the Interstate 680 Highway 4 interchange, upgrades in the Dumbarton Bridge Corridor, and bringing safety improvements to regional roadways, Highways 101, State Route 37, Interstates 680, and State Route 29. Plans also include projects like improved uh, Richmond Bridge access, funding for major ferry enhancements, regional express bus operations, improvements to the Capitol Corridor Project Rail, improving access to bus and transit facilities, and the Transbay Terminal and Rail Crossing. It's a lot of stuff. Okay. That is a lot of stuff. Away we go. He continues, RM3's investment. Now they're getting cool because they're saying RM3. RM3's investment will directly benefit our residents and commuters through the region, no matter which direction they're traveling, completing BART to San Jose while adding BART cars to expand capacity for Bay Area residents will keep commuters moving while improvements to I-80 and I-680, along with increased bus capacity, will reduce gridlock. Each of these carefully considered local projects are key pieces in big-picture solutions to the growing Bay Area congestion problem. Without funding through RM3, our traffic will only get worse, our access to public transit systems will remain overcrowded, and our commuting frustrations will increase. Sounds familiar. So that was the pro side. Now the con position presented by David Sean Braun. He's the president of TransDef. They say it's a nonprofit transit advocacy group seeking better solutions to transportation, land use, and air quality problems in the San Francisco Bay Area. David says, while recent job growth has certainly made the traffic problem of the Bay Area worse, a deeper cause can be found in the funding of the agency behind Region Measure 3. Traffic conditions have steadily worsened under decades of Metropolitan Transportation Commission's leadership. Total regional transit ridership hasn't increased since 1982, despite many billions spent on BART. 
We see that across the country, actually. We see that here in Denver. We see that in, in a lot of big cities. Right. He says, if they knew how to cut traffic, it would have been done so by now. That's why the claim of congestion relief in Region Measure 3 are nothing more than PR paid for mostly by Silicon Valley businesses who want the public to pay for their employees' commutes. Voters should reject RM3 and demand instead a plan that invests in facilities for large numbers of commuters who conveniently traveled by transit, shared rides, and bikes. Avoiding gridlock will require a wholesale shift of travel choices from driving alone to shared travel, bicycling, walking. The only way our region can cope with the projected 2 million more residents is by implementing a strong transit-first policy. RM3 is not that. Instead, it splashes money around and a variety of political popular projects. You know, it's interesting because they're both trying to come at this from almost a similar area. Well, it's I, I, it's it's a case of I like the money. I just wish you were spending the money on my things, so I can't support you spending the money on those things. Right, exactly. So he David continues. That won't change how people choose to get around. It would take a dense network of bus lines and protected bikes li- bike lanes to do that. The root cause of traffic congestion is the excessive percent percentage of solo drivers. There simply isn't enough physical space to accommodate the millions of vehicles seeking to travel at the same time. Metropolitan Transportation Commission's highest funding priority is a system of toll lanes which enables solo drivers to pay to use carpool lanes. We have those here, too. And they're wonderful if you're rich. (laughs) Yes. By continuing to focus its resources on solo drivers and not on shared travel, they actually make traffic worse. Other parts of the country are taking a different approach to the challenges of traffic. On our website, OccupyMTC.org, we show how Seattle voters approved a comprehensive bus network and uh, achieved a major shift away from solo driving. Bay Area residents should make a similar choice to have a bright, brighter future. There you go. They both basically want the same thing. More people taking transit, but they come at it from different places on how to fund their plans. But I do think it's interesting how they how they cite uh, uh, some studies that show the same number of people will be solo drivers in 20 years and how there'll be nearly a 50% increase of traffic. That even with all their efforts and all the education and the lengthening delays, that still about the same amount of people are going to be driving by themselves rather than wanting to still get on public transit. I mean... Which would you rather do? I guess for me, it comes down to how much money is it going to cost. Well, and if I'm sitting in a delay, but I'm the one driving, I still feel like I have some measure of control over the delay. Whereas if I'm sitting in a delay, but I'm in public transportation, I'm just stuck. Right. I'm with 20 of my newest best friends stuck in traffic for God knows how long on a bus that's usually not air-conditioned well. And if you had an air-conditioned bus, Wi-Fi-enabled bus charging stations, dedicated bus lane that might get you there faster, and that costs, let's say, 10% of what it might cost you to park in an area like San Francisco and the vehicle maintenance, all that sort of thing, then it might become more viable. You know, Here's what would convince me to ride the bus. Three things. It stops outside my house, mm-hmm. 50 cents, and Wi-Fi. Like, Wi-Fi and USB chargers. Like, if you can give me all four of those things, boom, sign me up. Like, I'll do that tomorrow. I was just reading a story about what there's a city, Dresden maybe, or there was a city, I think it was, it's maybe in Germany somewhere, somewhere in Europe, 
there's a city that is uh, either going to do it or was contemplating free, they called it, free transit, i.e. buses, for everybody. Right. However, free is never free. It's always a tax from some other... The money has to come from somewhere to pay for the maintenance of the buses and all that sort of thing. And I think we've talked about this. When you offer something for free, when you incentivize something, you're going to get more use. Obviously, more people would use it if you're not going to charge anything for it. But then again, with the more use, you're going to have more expense when it comes to maintenance and operation cost and that sort of thing. Um, Is it possible here to have 50-cent bus rides? Maybe. We're already subsidizing the uh, local Colorado, the RTD system, regional transportation. We're subsidizing them to the turn, I think, 75-25. Somewhere in there, 70-30, Somewhere in there, um, where it's mostly coming from sales tax revenue. And then about 25 to 30% of the fares are actually going towards the operational costs. So if you dropped that and you dropped the price, more people might ride it. I, uh, you know, but still, I don't even know what's affordable these days, right? Like, what, what, where is the line for what's affordable transit and what's not affordable transit? But then, at what, then, then, what happens usually with people is that let's say a bunch of people get on the buses, and the buses become overcrowded. So maybe they start charging a little bit more for the buses to try to get some of that money because it's it's a little overcrowded, overused, and the roads have become a little bit easier to manage because there's, let's say, fewer people driving solo in their cars. Sure, okay. Then people are going to go back to their cars because it's easier, they see, to go drive than it is to get on the bus. And then you have that cycle return again. Well, I, here's what I'll tell you on that. There's nothing worse than a bus line that doesn't have enough buses running on it. Because Same it winds thing on a train line. Because it winds up stopping more often than they expected. It winds up falling behind schedule. Sometimes one bus will catch the bus in front of it. And it's really difficult for riders. And when you have too many bus lines on your system that operate in that way, it is difficult to build public trust. Am I saying that Denver's transit system is like that? Yeah, to a certain extent, I would. And so until you can fix that problem, and I don't know how you do it, but until you do that, it's going to be very difficult to to convince people to get on public transportation. What I didn't see anywhere in this article, for their 20 or 30 or 50 year projections, anywhere on there about self-driving cars, flying cars, anything like that, and how that would play into any of the transportation solutions for the future. We'll see. Because they're all thinking about how it is right now and now how it could be in the future. I mean, bring on the self-driving cars, Jason. I mean, that's from a place where they're in the front line of self-driving cars and flying cars and hyperloops and all hyperloops. hyperloops and all the things that are advanced for transportation. All the cool all the cool kids are, are there in California, Joseph. All, all the cool kids are thinking hyperloop. That's it. <laughs> I love I would hate. I go ride on the Hyperloop maybe once. It's like going to a theme park. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, that's about it for this uh, edition of the Driving You Crazy podcast. You can always reach out to us at Denver 7 Traffic. At Joseph Denver 7. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Lipper, the traffic guy. I'm alternative transportation advocate, Joseph Peters. Be safe. And as always, happy motoring. Happy motoring.